Hello and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. Whether you knew that or not, that's what we are and that's who we are. And we are glad you are listening. And uh, my name is Chad Russell. I'm the co-host. And that is Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. How are you doing today, Kurt? Doing awesome, man. Good. Uh, for those of you who are listening on purpose, you have uh, found us, and we thank you for listening. It is a show for men, by men. We talk about things from a man's perspective. Now, we know the ladies listen, and we're happy the ladies do, but we want to talk to the guys, and uh, hopefully uh, we will hit on something that maybe a guy maybe uh, has thought about, whether it's uh, leadership and marriage issues, parenting issues, all kinds of different topics. So we like to cover the gamut of things, and... Uh, we are covering something today that we don't, usually when you hear some of these words that we'll be using, it's talked about maybe in a political standpoint, uh, from a political perspective about, um, you know, when you hear the word refugee, a lot of times people start thinking, oh, wait a minute now, who's coming in, who shouldn't come in, and that becomes, all of a sudden, we go down the road of politics and legislation and, and different sides of the aisle. But today we're going to talk to a couple guests today who have a, a, a genuine global worldview. for World-class Christians, these guys are. Both, <laughs> both out of their home and what they do, but also even in their home from the perspective of their children. So we've got a very unique perspective today by a couple guys who, uh, who have a global worldview, and, uh, and, and God has a global worldview. And sometimes we do not. And as men and as ladies, we need to have a, more of a perspective that God has from the world than, than maybe we do ourselves. So, guys, uh, it, it's a great to have you. We have Todd and Rob. And uh, you guys, uh, you guys have very cool, compelling stories. So we're gonna we're gonna just kind of uh, unpack your stories. Uh, we're gonna start out with you, Todd. Uh, Todd, you've you've got four. Uh, well, a, a total accumulation. Both of you have ten adopted kids together. Um, I mean, you guys not together together, but you know, <laughs> with your wives. Yeah. And yeah, I'm uh, glad you clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Todd, your ministry that you do is uh, how in the you're 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 working with primarily some folks from Somalia. Describe that a little bit. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of times people ask me, how do you, how'd you get started doing this? And I think uh, my story is like that of a lot of people in that it wasn't just one thing that happened at one point in life, uh, but God led me through a series of, of you know, choices along the way mm. and, uh, and uh, you know, started many years ago on my first trip to uh, a predominant Muslim country. I'd never been, I'd been on several mission trips up to that point, but I'd never gone anywhere that was almost 100% Muslim. And uh, I, uh, I went on this mission trip. I was just going to be in this country for a week and uh, arrived the first day there, got on the bus, surrounded by Muslims, and sat down next to a gentleman. And the first words out of his mouth were, Muhammad is greater than Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's his first words out of his mouth. Very first thing he said to me on my very first trip to Muslim country. And so I, was, I don't even remember what I thought at the time. I don't remember how any of the rest of the conversation went. But uh, from that point forward, I've just been intrigued by, by Muslims, uh, long to see them become our brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, just kind of privileged to be used by God in this way. Wow, so that was the catalyst. Uh, he says those words to you. didn't quote Philippians 2 back to him, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You, you didn't say that right there. No, I honestly don't remember anything else I said. I just, I just remember how the conversation got started. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so that, that, that started, and then you've got something going on here right in Louisville that's really intriguing. 
you are working primarily with a Muslim community. Um, d- describe that. Well, yes, I'm working with uh, Somali Bantu refugees, and uh, they have a hard story. Uh, they came out of Somalia. They're the former slave population of Somalia. They're ethnically distinct from the Somali people, and so they've always kind of been looked down upon uh, by the Somalis. And uh, Somalia went to a, into a civil war in the early 90s, and when the civil war began, the Bantu, kind of at, at the bottom of the totem pole... No, you say Bantu, B-A-N-T-U. That, that's the name of the tribe? That's right. Okay. And, uh, and they were the biggest victims of this war when it started. They were the farmers, and when the Civil War started, you know, their farms were raided with peop- by people with guns. Uh, oftentimes, the men, the older men of the family were killed uh, to make a point, and then everyone else was subdued or ran off. And uh, as, um, as this process played out, they just began thinking, we've got to get out of here. They, the problem is they didn't have anywhere to go. They did not have cars. There, was no, there were no buses or certainly no airplanes to help them you know, get out of this area. So they just began walking towards the border to Kenya, hundreds of miles. It took generally two or three weeks uh, for those who walked. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to them about their, their harrowing stories along the way. You know, we think about the, just the difficulty of walking that distance. But for them, when I talk with them, sometimes they'll mention things I w- might not have thought about. Uh, a mom uh, was telling me about this story a while back, and she said the hardest part for her was the fact that she couldn't even sleep at night because she could hear the hyena off in the distance, and she was scared to death. If she fell asleep, she would wake up to the sound of her children being dragged off by these wild animals. And so it was a very difficult journey. The most vulnerable among them didn't survive. The older people couldn't make the trip, ultimately succumbed along the way. Uh, a lot of little babies died whose moms and dads were trying to... to yeah, because I mean, I'm sure food and water was... Uh, scarce. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Traveling so th- hundreds of miles. Right, so they survived this very difficult... Um, Civil War, and then traveling to refugee camps, and then spent about 10 or 15 years in refugee camps, uh, most of these families, before being resettled in different places in America. And so Louisville, uh, as many people know, there are a number of refugees in Louisville, and a number of these Somali Bantu people were brought to Louisville to be resettled. But to bring this, there were, there were about 15,000 of these Somali Bantu who, the, who were brought to America, and they logistically had to divide them up into smaller groups to, uh, so they were resettled in many different cities, but they began to regather. They wanted to come back together, and Louisville became the predominant city where they began to regather. Wow. When and you say the predominant, you mean it literally has the largest population of, of Bantus in America? Of Somali Bantu in America, that's right. Wow. Right here in Louisville. And so, okay, so, and you started ministering to these, these folks. Now, yeah. they, don't, they don't speak English, uh, to varying levels. Some do, okay. you know, we're, we're just in any culture, there are some people who are more gifted to l- learn and pick up languages and others who struggle more with it. And so there certainly are, are among the Bantu many who picked up English quickly and generally they became leaders within the community just because of the, the very basic skill that they had to, to be able to speak and communicate mm-hmm. here in a new land. And so they serve their people well uh, with that gift of language. So what do you, so Todd, in, in, in your ministry with them, what, do you, what are you doing to what encourage them, bless them, to uh, you know welcome them into the, the Louisville community. How, how, how and what do you do? Yeah, we started out, uh, and the, the question for my wife and I first was, how do we get started? How do we become a part of this community? And so we went through one of the one of the uh, refugee resettlement agencies, and they introduced introduced us to a family, and we met this first family. They were the first uh, Somali Bantu family in Louisville. They'd been here for about six months when we first met them. And basically, we just showed up at their door, said we wanted to be their friends. We wanted to help them along the way. 
and asked what we could do to, to serve them. And it wasn't long before they told us, you know, the first need that they mentioned to us was uh, that they needed help with their laundry. They'd been here for quite a while, but they were doing hand washing their laundry in the bathtub. And so they needed to figure out how do you use these fancy machines we have here in America <laughs> to wash your clothes. And so we took them to the, to the laundromat a handful of times and just kind of taught them the very basic things of how to do your laundry. And it wasn't long after that before. Um, now, are they, wor- were they, they didn't, did they have jobs at the time? The, for the first uh, six months or so, they did not. And then um, the resettlement agencies helped them find a job. That's okay. one of the services that they receive. But, you know, for the Bantu in particular, it was very difficult for them because they're coming from rural Africa where they didn't have, you know, job skills that translate well into the American economy. And so, and they had also the language difficulty. And one of the other big issues that they had was uh, Africa time that many people have heard of. <laughs> and so the work ethic was just very different in Africa in terms of when your boss says, I want you to be here at a certain time. Well, they really mean they want you to be there exactly at that time, ready to work. Not and half an hour later. Exactly. And so, and then during the course of the workday, you can't just stop working and rest whenever you want to, which was a, a, you know, a difficulty for them as well. And so they, it doesn't take long to, to learn these things. But uh, because of the language difficulties and the skills um, and the, the different uh, mentality from Africa, it took them, you know, generally the men would work through maybe four or five different jobs before they finally learned enough and got settled enough that they could find a job that really worked well for them. Wow. And so what, so you're, you're helping them with the laundry, you're beginning to help them with just adapting to this new world, this new culture, and, and then pretty soon more of them just keep coming from all over the country. Right. That's right. And, you know, we ser- we did our very best to serve this first family as well as we could. It wasn't long before the, the wife said, I want help with English. And we, we began English classes right there in their living room. And there would be, you know, 15 people packed into a, a you know, 12 by 12 living room. And you're starting to teach them English. And we're teaching English, uh, doing Bible stories. Uh, but, you know, some of the things I think that spoke to them perhaps allowed for us just the little simple things that they didn't understand how to do. And, uh, and we could help with. So there's, I mean, some of those stories are a little bit funny. One day I walked in and they told me they'd slept in their coats the night before. And uh, there was no, just enough heat in the house. And so I, I looked through the house and I walked over to one of the walls and found this little circle on the wall. <laughs> and I turned the circle and almost like magic, warm air starts coming out of the walls. And, and they're, uh, they're, they're like flipping out. They were so impressed with me. <laughs> <laughs> and another, another time I came in, they said the oven was broken. And, I, you know, I'm not an oven repairman, but uh, I left the kitchen where the oven was, went to a different room and opened a tiny little door on the wall and flipped a switch. And then went back into the kitchen and almost like magic, the oven is now working. So, you know. So you're just, a handyman, too. Exactly. Good. And so these are things that, you know, most of us, it's very simple stuff. We know how to do it. It's not rocket science. But if you've never seen it before, it's brand new stuff for you. So it's easy to learn. Uh, and so we were able to serve them through those kinds of things. I love I, I, I love your your heart and of reaching out to these people. We need to take a break. And then we're going to come back and continue to really understand what... God has put on both of your hearts for His glory and for His purposes. So we'll take a break and we'll be back shortly on Solid Steps Radio. Welcome back to our second segment of Solid Steps Radio. This is Chad Russell, still, that's Kurt Souter, and we are talking today with Todd and Rob, uh, both gentlemen who deal with and have uh, ministries and life experiences 
with folks from around the world and they have a global perspective and if you'd like to travel around the world, you should go to Ellen and Credit Union and ask them about a loan <laughs> to be able to get the financing to go travel around that world. Or uh, they're a great sponsor of our show. And then Bright Star Home Care. They are a really special organization who help people make the life plan to be able to be self-sufficient in their own home or make that transition uh, needing help uh, for, for their loved ones. So they're a great organization. So we're talking to Todd and Rob about a global worldview. So Todd, you're, you've been ministering you know, here in Louisville, and Rob, you are mm-hmm. you're all around the world. Uh, you're in South Asia, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I can't even use uh, on the radio here. We can't even use your full name because why? Dun, 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 well, because I'm not sure I want to be associated with you guys. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's very internationally <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Our country is not allowed to uh, have someone come in as a missionary. And so if you, if that was known, I'm not there for that reason, according to them, but that's what we do there. You're there, according to them, for other reasons, but your real motive, your real purpose, your Mm -hmm. agenda Mm -hmm. is to be a missionary in this country. Exactly. So, okay, so Rob, how in the world do you you have, you're a doctor, Mm-hmm. How, how do you leave your practice and get to the point of going to a another country? And I mean, how's that? How, how's that work? Well, you uh, leave your practice and you go to a different country. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get there? Well, you asked me that question before we started, and as I was thinking through that, really, I didn't start. I grew up in a denomination that taught you to very honor God and to respect God, and I really appreciate that component of that denomination. But they really didn't emphasize Scripture. So I didn't read the Bible until I was 19. And the more I think, because I get asked this question quite often, why do you go overseas and be a missionary? The more I thought about that, it really never, ever occurred to me that we're doing anything else in this life if we're following God other than being a missionary. Whether I'm a doctor here whether I'm laying concrete here, whatever I'm doing here, I should be sharing the gospel with my neighbors because God says, love him with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbors yourself. And if I don't, do, do I really love them? You know, mm. I, I, I like what uh, Todd was saying about uh, the Bantu, Bantu and how terrible it was for them when they were a slave tribe in a sense in, in Africa and how terrible that must have been for them to live that way. But if we think about it, mm. people that are going to hell because they don't know Christ, in John fourteen 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If they don't know Jesus and they're going to hell, their life is a thousand times worth, worse than what he just described for eternity. And how can we just sit back and just enjoy our Christian faith and not think about that person next to us that we have a responsibility to share with. Now, of course, I'm a little different because I always liked Paul in, in, in the Gospels. He was my favorite. He was the one that I just thought, wow, you know, what a great life. Of course, he gets beat up and terrorized and tortured all the time. So that's not the great part, but that's, that's the price you pay sometimes. And when you go overseas, I think you're called to go overseas because God wants you to go and share his message and whatever it takes to do that is is immaterial. It's just not that important. Well, Paul uh, Paul wanted to go to the unreached 
parts of the world, and mm-hmm. and that's where God's called you. Exactly, exactly, and, and and we feel privileged that we're called there, and, and we feel honored to be called because in this world we're it, it's great to have nice things, it's great to make an income, it's great to have those things, but it's all burnt. It's going to burn up. Doesn't mean much in eternity. It's a little blimp. What really counts is who we're going to take to heaven with us. And if we serve God properly, you know, when, when I early when I read the scriptures, it just was impressed on me right away that, you know, if I'm going to follow him, then he's and he's going to be my God. That means I need to obey everything he tells me. Mm. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm not. And, and I've but made my mistakes. But my goal is. And, and so I would tell people when they say, well, you know, why would you do this? And say, well, one person in life that you don't tell no is God. If he calls you to do, do something, you do it. And that's just that's just the way it is. And he's going to be with you from the end of the age, and you don't worry about it, and you just do it. We, uh, Rob, we admire you. You had a a, a vibrant practice. Mm-hmm. You left a wonderful neighborhood, beautiful home, and you are now living. Uh, not, I mean, it's it's a it's it's not the home that you had here. No. And, and yet you counted a privilege. Well, we, we counted a privilege because we can serve him. That's, that's all that really counts is if we can serve him, we can serve him in a way that he desires and we're making a difference with our lives. I, I, I say many times, doing what I do is the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's the most satisfying thing I've ever done. I love being a doctor. I love treating patients. It was a passion for me. It still is. I still train people when I'm there. And I do that, but my main goal is to help them know who Jesus is and come to Christ because you can heal somebody physically, but spiritually, if they're going and going to be, not to use a better term, but damned to hell, what, what is the purpose? You know, eternity is what counts. And, and I think in, in, in America, we don't have enough of an eternal view of what it means to be a Christian in our faith because eternal view is... Our goal is to get to heaven and bring as many people as we can. That that should be the goal for every Christian. Mm. It, it, what you're what you're describing is what Jesus some of his last words. He mm-hmm. said, it, it, "One day you will receive power from on high, mm-hmm. and you will be my witnesses." And it's going to start here in Jerusalem, and that's going to spread to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the utter ends of the earth. You are my witnesses, and so you testify. You speak about me and all that I have done in and through your life and spreading the gospel. So, that, that, I mean, God's called all of us to do that, but specifically he's called you to leave here and to go, you know, around, uh, you know, halfway around the world. Uh, describe, Rob, you also work with Muslims, but you also work with uh, Hindus. Yes, yes. And, and clarify as well, where we work, there's a lot of poor. The highest percentage of poor are in this country in all the world 38 percent of them in the world are in this country but we've been called differently and, and i kind of wish i was called to the poor because it'd be a little bit easier in, in a sense but we're called to uh the hindu upper caste and we're called to them i believe because god just put us in a place where we can really connect with them in a way that maybe someone that's young that comes straight out of seminary uh, somebody that doesn't have a professional degree has a more difficult time because status, wealth, all those things are important to them. But I feel privileged to be called to them because they're the ones 
they're the movers and shakers of their country. The oppression of their country really comes because of their religious system. That's why there's so many poor there. And if we don't change them that run that country and that, that handle everything that happens in that country goes through them, if we don't reach them for Christ, and Christ loves them just as much as he loves the poor, mm-hmm. if we don't reach them, we'll never change that country, and that country will never, ever flourish in Christ. It'll always be oppressed. It's a lot of persecution. Just two weeks ago, there was a pastor there that was killed. Uh, that's not too um, uncommon. That happens a lot because it's just oppressive toward anything that's not Hindu. Are, are you in your, and, and you, it's not just you, it's your wife and your whole tribe of kids. <laughs> um, do you ever get fearful? You know, we, we, for some reason we don't. And I think that's just a God thing. We, we don't worry about that. Uh, people get kicked out of the country sometimes, and I think that would be the worst thing that would happen. Um, they would just say, you know, your visa's revoked, go home. Uh, but we don't worry about that part. And, and, you know, the worst thing that happened, I always say, is the uh, worst thing is having to get to go to heaven. <laughs> I will say this. Our kids, as we were, as they were growing up, we were trying to get them ready to go over the field because my wife and I, before we even married, knew we were going to go overseas. And we would read them all these mission biographies. And we thought, okay, we're going to prepare their hearts. And we read them all these great missionaries. Well, all the great missionaries that are in these books are the ones that were tortured and persecuted and killed. <laughs> and your kids are like going, Dad, we can't wait. Wow, <laughs> this is exciting. This is exactly. a bedtime story, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my one son, who's pretty adventurous, and he was nine at the time, when we told him that night, he just, he just broke out in tears. And he's not the kind of kid that gets that emotional. And I was like, John Paul, what's, what's, what's the matter? It's okay. He's like, Dad, I don't, I don't want to be tortured. I don't want to die. I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we shouldn't have been telling him all this stuff. So, you know, he was thinking it was that way. But obviously, it's it, today's world. You're, you're not. It, you have a great protection being an American. And you have great respect because you're an American. And if you look around the world, and in this country in particular, 76% of the people, if they could live anywhere, they'd pick America. So they love America. They love Americans. It gives us a great entry in. Uh, we're welcomed by everyone, and uh, it's easy for us to share our faith. In, in that country, there's millions of gods. There's not hardly any atheists. So there, it's just common. If you didn't talk about your faith, you'd be considered weird. So we're very bold about it. They expect you to be because mm. that's what that's just part of the fabric of who they are. That's that's interesting. Well, we're going to take a break and come back with Todd and Rob, and we're going to hear more about their perspectives, both here locally, internationally. And also we're going to unpack and talk about well, what should we do about this? What should the quote-unquote everyday uh, person of faith, a Christian who says, yeah, I'm not going to go to that country or I'm not going to be housing and teaching uh, English to someone, but what can I do? It's not if we're called, it's what we're called to do in some perspectives. So we're going to talk more about that on Solid Steps Radio. 